Say thank you, thank you. All right, real quick, I just want to test. Can everybody hear me on the mic? Yes, no? No, not yet? All right, well, you know what? I'm just going to talk loud until it comes on. And then, Okay, there we go. Perfect. That was quick. But um, let's see here. So I'm going to go in and be speaking to you guys today. And real quick, before I launch in, I just want to make a quick note. There's not going to be any kids' kingdom today, so we're all going to just stay in here. So if you have some of the kids, just make sure you keep them with you today. But um, I'm just going to speak. And, you know, like I said, I just want to take this moment, just in case you don't know who I am, I know just had the introduction, but my name is Kyle Popik, and I'm part of the uh, internship program here at CME and Shoreline. And I just want to take this moment just to welcome you guys to CME Church. So our, our mission is just to love God and love people too. So I, like I said, I just want to go ahead and talk. And as you can see on the screen to my right, the theme that I'm going to be speaking about today is running our race. And when I was asked to speak, I was kind of debating what I wanted to talk about. And it took me a while to figure it out because I, I was like, like Joe was saying, I was like, what do I have to offer, right? I'm 20 years old, you know, a couple years as a Christian, what do I have to offer to a room full of people, 20, 10, 30, whatever many years, more life experience than I have? And so I was kind of in this spot, and I was debating, and I was praying, and I kind of came to that, that conclusion that, you know what, God, just speak through me. Speak what you want to be said, and just give me, give me that vision. And so while I was kind of in that spot, the campus ministry, we had a, uh, a retreat last weekend. And so we're going up to the street. For those of you guys who don't know what that might be, it's just the college groups in the area in the southwest United States. We get together once a year and have an annual uh, conference over a weekend where there's about five, 600 college students. We're all together, and there's lessons, and you get to meet one another. You get to meet people you never met before. You get to hear from people, and they have a lot of encouraging stories there. And it's, it's a great time, and there's a lot going on, but it's hectic, and it's crazy. You know, I had... Um, I was six guys in one hotel room, so it's, it's, it's hectic. We, we had guys sleeping in chairs. One guy slept in the bathroom, so it just, you, you got to make it work. So I don't know if you guys have ever had an experience like that, but um, while I was there, I didn't really get a whole lot of time to myself, as you can imagine. You know, I was kind of just going from one thing to the next, and I hit this saturation point. It wasn't really until the way home where I had a moment to kind of ponder and think and, and just pray about where I was at, what was on my heart, and what was on my heart to speak today. And as you guys can see, what I eventually landed on, what, what kind of just kept ringing in my head is this idea of running our race. And so what I want to talk about today for a moment, if you guys will let me, is um, I want to talk about running our race in such a way as to win the prize. Amen. Come on. And it's, that's what we're going to go ahead and do. And so without any further ado, we're going to go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. And this is where we'll spend most of our time this morning. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and give you guys a second to turn there. If not, I have it up on the screen for you. Give you guys a quick moment, and then I'll go ahead and start reading. But starting in verse 12, it says, Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And this is... A pretty famous passage of scripture. If you're sitting here today, you probably have some level of familiarity with it. But before we dive in, before we start talking about the race and all the good stuff, I just want to take a second to back up and kind of with just some broad strokes, paint the context of this passage. Because this is Paul speaking here. It's the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter. And he wrote the letter of Philippians to the church in Philippi. And in this specific chapter, chapter 3, what Paul is actually trying to do, his main goal of this chapter is to refute a group within the church known as the Judaizers. And if you guys have been with us for the last couple of weeks, you probably have a decent idea of who the Judaizers were. But just in case, I'm going to go ahead and summarize them very quickly. But they were basically a group within the church that was, they were Christian men and women, but they were Jews before they became Christians. And as the church started to expand in the first century, they didn't like people who weren't Jews becoming Christians. 
And they taught that you couldn't just become a Christian. You couldn't just go to Jesus. You actually, what they said, you had to be a Jew first. And then you could become a Christian. And what they would do is they would teach that you couldn't just believe in Christ. You had to be circumcised. You had to um, follow Jewish laws of ritual cleansing and all these kinds of different things. And basically, Paul hears about this, and he's writing this letter to the Philippians to, to refute that. And so in the first 11 verses, he basically, to summarize it very simply, he uses his life to argue against what they're preaching. And he basically says, listen, I'm a better Jew than any of these men have ever been. <laughs> and I'm telling you, that's not the case. And what he does, so through the first 11 verses, that's what he's doing. And in verse 12, he kind of switches the focus a little bit. And what he's doing is he's trying to get the Philippians, these people who, you know, at the time the church was confused. They're kind of wondering what's right. You know, their focus is kind of shifting and waning. There's dissension. And in verse 12, what Paul starts to do is he starts to try to kind of redirect the Philippians' focus from all these questions and rituals. He's like, no, get get your eyes back on Christ. And just like he used his own life to refute, the uh, Judaizers. He's using his own life here to kind of spur them back to Christ. And so that's what I want to go ahead and look at. And we're going to make, you know, before we start talking, my goal is to ultimately talk about our prize. But before we do that, I want to just talk a little bit about our race. And we're going to make a quick stop in Philippians 3.12 first. And I'm going to go ahead and read it again for you guys. But it says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And as you can see on the screen in my right here, I have that phrase, that for which bolded, because that's kind, of, that's kind of where I want to camp in this verse. Because as I was looking and I was kind of studying out this passage a little bit, that phrase stuck out to me. And in the Greek, I have it below there. That phrase translates as epho. <clears throat> Excuse me, epho. And what that phrase is, it's a causative phrase that Paul used in almost every single letter he wrote. And a causative phrase is basically a fancy thing for saying it's a term you use to express motivation or cause. And so when Paul's writing this letter, that word epho, what it would have communicated to the Philippians is, I press on to take hold of Christ because he took hold of me. And what I, what I want, the reason I wanted to camp on this is I wanted to ask you guys, if we're talking about a race, and the race we run as Christians, we've all heard that analogy, the Christian walk is like a race. Why do you run your race this morning? And that's the first thing I wanted to camp out on, because what I try to tell the campus guys and you know, campus uh, girls is, if you don't know why you run your race, you're not going to get far. And you might, you might even do the right things for a while, but you're never going to last if you don't have the right reasons behind it. And so I want to ask you guys this morning, why do you run your race? And I want to take a second to look at this phrase because I think it kind of illustrates a little bit of Paul's heart of why he ran his race. Because if you know anything about the Apostle Paul, you know, I personally believe that of any disciple, he's probably suffered the most for being a Christian than anybody else. You know, if you wrote it out on paper, the, you know, he was stoned, he was, there were multiple times while he was preaching, he had riots break out against him and mobs try to steal him and kill him. He survived two different assassination attempts. He was shipwrecked three times. He was bitten by a viper. The list goes on and on and on and on. <laughs> and I wonder, you know, I was thinking to myself when I was studying Paul, if I had to endure just one of those things, I probably would have thrown in my towel. You know? <laughs> how did Paul keep going? And then I read verses where Paul talks about how through God's mercy I had this ministry. I'm like, how do you call that mercy? You know? But it's this idea, and what Christ is saying here, what he's telling the Philippian church is, you know, I'm throwing away everything else. And I consider, you know, I, I seek to take hold, through everything I've been through, I seek to take hold of Christ because he took hold of me. Amen. And the first little thing I want to share with you guys today is, you know, if you're running your Christian race, it's got to be in response to the cross. Right. And that's a simple point, but it's one that we can forget. You know, when I, was, when I first became a Christian, I thought I got that, right? You know, I became a Christian, I, I finally understood, and a couple weeks ago, I was sharing a little bit about my history, and you know, I'll, I'll kind of summarize it briefly in case you weren't there or uh, don't remember. But before I was a Christian, I was a perfectionist, you know, and, and I held myself to the standard. I try to be perfect and the best at everything all the time. 
And all my focus on trying to be perfect only reminded me how imperfect I was. Right? And every time I tried to, to do better, I only realized I failed more. And so when I was thinking about this, you know, when I became a Christian, that's, what it, that's when it changed for me. That's when I, I felt, okay, this pressure was off my back. I don't have to be perfect anymore. Right? And that joy, that, that freedom that God gave me when I became a Christian, it just kind of bubbled over in my life. And, and when I first started out, I didn't really give much, much thought to my motivations of why I did things. And I didn't, to be honest with you, I didn't really put that much conscious, conscious effort into doing Christian things. It kind of just happened. You know, I wanted to, to get with people. You know, I wanted to see how they were doing. I cared about how they were doing. I wanted to tell them how I was doing. You know, with my friends in school or work or wherever I might have been, I wanted to tell them about Jesus. I wanted to see if they were interested in becoming Christians. You know, I wanted to live these things. I wanted to serve in church or do communion or whatever it might have been because I was just joyful at the time. And it was given to me, and, and that was, I, I was happy about that. You know, and, and that kind of changed for me. For the first couple of years, about two years, that's, that's where I was at. But if you rewind the clock about six months, um, I was leading the campus ministry down in Shoreline for about a year or so when Gio came to me and he's like, Kyle, listen, I want to talk to you. We've been, we've been running some financial. We have the opportunity to hire a few interns, and I wanted to see if you'd be interested in, in doing that. And so at the time, you know, I felt called to it. I felt excited. I felt like God had kind of ordered a few things in my life to make that happen. So I was excited. I was like, yeah, absolutely. I'd love to. I'm right there. I'd love to sign on and do that. And so we do. And in June, the internship came around. And, you know, there's a lot of different facets of it. There's a lot of different parts. Basically, it just boils down to, you know, leading the campus ministry, you know, helping set things up, you know, preaching when you need to, when you need to preach, you know, doing little lessons for the midweeks and things like that, being on campus, helping to share your faith, different things. And before, this stuff kind of came naturally. But all of a sudden, one thing happened when I, when I took the internship. I didn't really notice it in my heart at first. But when I, when I took on the internship and I started that, my thinking and my heart kind of changed. And it was just, it was a really, really subtle, but just like a subtle just misalignment. You know, and with time and repetition, that gap just kind of widened. Right. Right. And I think the difference was my life was no longer about Jesus. It was no longer about other people. You know, it started to become about me. And I started to think, okay, how good am I, right? I started to think, wait a minute, if I'm an intern, I'm standing in front of a crowd, eyes are on me, I want to be impressive. You know, and that kind of became my heart. And I started, you know, it started small. I didn't realize it at the time. I didn't notice the shift. You know, if you'd asked me at the time, I wouldn't have known it was there. But I started the internship that way. And, you know, I'm kind of ashamed to say, but that was a powerful motivator for me. Because if you know me, one thing, you know, I grew up the older brother. You know, I grew up carrying the authority and, and I had the responsibility, and I liked it. I liked that role. You know, I grew up, and with my friends, I kind of tended to be the leader. You know, we kind of did what I wanted to do. And it, it just happened that way. And then leading in the church, you know, I, I, um, it was just more of that. And then, you know, growing up, I always played football, and I was always a quarterback. If you know anything about football and quarterbacks, let me tell you, they like the, the spotlight. <laughs> they like the attention. <laughs> you know, they like to be the one everyone looks to, right? And I wanted to be the Tom Brady. And so when I started the internship, that kind of became my mentality. And I lost sight of Christ. I lost sight of, of other people. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to be the Tom Brady of the interns, right? Josh is down there. I'm going to beat him. You know, <laughs> that's what I thought. <laughs> but that was, that was what I came with. And it was a motivator. You know, I, I poured myself into serving more than I ever had before. You know, time on campus with people, loving people, getting time, connecting, all that stuff. I did more than I'd ever done, two, three, four times more. And the first week of the internship rolled around, and really nothing changed. You know, the second week came around, and I still I, I felt like I had nothing to show for it. The third week came, and eventually the month of June passed, nothing much. 
And so I didn't really think much of it. I was like, okay, you know what? Maybe, maybe you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. Maybe this isn't either. So I kept going. And I started in July in the first week and the second week and the third week. And July goes by. And at this point, the power that I felt, the power to make my name great, it kind of started to turn to panic. <laughs> just, I'm just being honest with you guys. <laughs> but I started to think, wait a minute. What if I'm not Tom Brady? What if I'm the bust? You know? And I started to think, what if I can't do this? What if I wasn't meant for this? You know, if, if I don't succeed, then what will people think of me? Right? And I started to not want to think. I, I, I didn't want to focus on what people thought of me. Instead of before, that was all I thought about. And, you know, there was one, there was one moment that was kind of the tipping point for me where I, I finally faced it. Because I think the whole time, I didn't want to admit it. Um, I just wanted to, you know, I was like, you know, I'll just try harder. Because I was afraid to kind of look at where I'd gotten. You know, I was afraid to kind of check my heart. And so one day I was talking to this guy, and I remember how we got to talk, and we were talking about football, I think, and, and eventually halfway through, he brings up uh, church. So I started talking about church and different events and things like that. And I remember my mouth starts to go, and I start telling him about what we're doing and all this kind of stuff. And in my head, while my mouth's still speaking, I think to myself, I hope this guy says no, because if he says yes, that's just a lot more work for me. And so the conversation kind of went for a little bit, and eventually I get my wish. He says no, and we, we go our separate ways. And I remember standing there, and I was watching him leave, and I thought to myself, how did, how did I get here? You know? And I thought, this is what, what an internship is. I don't want that, <laughs> you know? And so I started to think, and eventually I couldn't take it anymore. So, you know, I got I to I talk to, to something. So I started talking to one of the older brothers in the church, and this guy, he's, um, he's pretty close to me. We're, we're, we're pretty close. And he did the campus thing. You know, he led the ministry back when he was in campus, and he actually did some pretty uh, awesome things. <coughs> And back when he was in his days, so God worked powerfully, and it was, it, was, it was great. But he was talking to me, and so I kind of started talking to him. And as I started to talk to him about where I'm at, my insecurities kind of started to bubble up. And, you know, basically the snowball just kind of got rolling. So I kind of just told him about where I was at, what I was feeling. And the whole time, he's sitting there, and he's kind of just nodding, just listening, not really saying anything. And at the end, he only asked me one question. And at the end, he's like, well, Kyle, why'd you do all that? Right? Why'd you devote all that time, all that effort, all that energy and I don't really have an answer for him. You know, that was the first time. That was the moment. That question caught me because that was the moment that I finally kind of stared my own motivations dead in the face. You know, I was like, okay, there's no more pretending. There's no more ands or buts. This is why. And so I didn't tell him, you know, what was going on. You know, I didn't tell him any of that. I said, well, I don't know. I don't know why I did any of it. And I think he kind of knew what was going on because he smiled at me and he said, well, you know what, Kyle, let me tell you why I do it. And he started telling me about when he became a Christian, you know, give you a quick backstory on his life. He didn't have the best upbringing. There was alcohol involved. There was guns involved. It wasn't the most nurturing spot. And so eventually, you know, he, he hits college and he goes away to study being an engineer. And I guess one day while he's, while he's in his dorm, he's studying, he starts walking the streets at night. And he just, something hit him, his family hit him, and he just, he just leaves. He just starts walking, and as he's walking, he starts praying. And he told me, he's like, Kyle, while I was walking those streets and I was praying, I was praying for God to reveal himself to me. I was praying for God to lead me to him. And he said, I was praying for a while, and I guess at some point while he was walking, he stopped on a street corner kind of waiting to cross for the light, you know. And while he's standing there, two guys come up to him and ask him, hey, do you want to know more about Jesus? (laughs) (laughs) So, exactly, you know, it caught his attention. So fast forward a few weeks, he gets baptized, he becomes a disciple. Fast forward about a year or so, and he's living with the minister, and he's leading the campus ministry. And he, like I told you, he didn't have the best home life, so he was going to school. And while he was going to, go, going to school to be an engineer, he was actually number one in his class. He graduated number one in his class. But while he did it, 
he was working jobs to support his tuition, to support you know, his bills and all that kind of stuff. So he was working, and then he was serving in the ministry after that. And he was kind of telling me, like, Kyle, my typical schedule, I would get up about 4 a.m., and I would go to work, and I would work construction jobs, and I'd go to school, and I'd stay at school until I finished, and I'd get off around 4 or 5 p.m., and I'd work the ministry until about 1 a.m. And he said, I did that every day for about three years. He said, that was a hard time. He told me, that's the hardest time I've ever had in my life. But it was never a burden. And I asked him, I was like, what do you mean hard but not a burden? And he said, Kyle, it was never a burden to me to do that because I never forgot that Jesus met me on that corner. You know, and when I was reading this passage and I was thinking about Paul, I was reminded of that guy's story because Paul, you know, I think that's what motivated him. I think through everything he suffered and everything that he was going through, he never stopped because he never forgot that Jesus met him on the side of the road too. And so for me, after I had that conversation, that flipped my heart. That just, you know, my whole, my whole, you know, my, my Christianity at that point kind of did a 180. And I started, you know, wanting to get with people again. I started, I started, you know, talking to people about becoming Christians and different things like that. Not because I had to or because I wanted to be great, because I cared about them. Right. You know, and my motivation came back to loving God and loving people. And since then, I'll tell you guys, there's been times where, you know, the internship is hard or the campus ministry is hard. It can, you know, you can ask any of us. It's, it gets stressful, but it's never been a burden. And I just want to bring you guys to this point. If we're talking about why we run our race as Christians, because maybe not everybody goes on campus, right? I don't know where you're at. You know, I don't know what's there in your life. But whatever the case might be, whatever is going on, I just want to encourage you guys that as we're running our race, we should live our lives in response to the cross. Amen. That's the why. We'll go ahead and we'll keep reading, guys. And I'm going, to, I'm going to put it back up on the board. But we're going to go to Philippians 3.13. I'm going to read 13 and 14 for a second here. But it says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And I want to focus in on that phrase I have bolded there, the I press on toward. And with that phrase, what that is in, in the Greek is it's that, it's that verb there, dioko. And what that verb translates to, it translates as a um, passionate pursuit of or earnest seeking after. And I, you know, I don't think you really need to know the Greek to get that imagery from the text. I think I press on kind of paints a good picture. But there's something else that I want to talk about in that verb there. Because it's subtle, but I think it's important. And what it is, this verb was only ever used in, in the Greek language to refer to a singular goal. You know, a single pursuit. So if one of the Philippians who was reading this, uh, reading this text, when they, used that, when, when they read that word dioko, they would have understood that Paul was talking about one supreme goal, one surpassing prize. And so I want to take a second to focus in and ask ourselves, you know, I talked a little bit about why we run the race. I want to talk about how we should run it. And there's a lot, you know, you can have sermons for years on how we should run our race, but I only want to focus on one aspect of it. And I think we talk a lot in the church about being wholehearted. You know, and if you'll bear with me, I have a similar point, but I want to take a slightly different angle on it this morning, and I want to talk about being single-hearted. Amen. And I want to ask you guys, you know, wherever you've been in your faith before, wherever, wherever you're at now, this morning, is your faith still a single-hearted faith? Whatever you got going on. You know, I just want to ask you guys, I want you to just consider for yourself for a moment, because, you know, I think wherever you're at in your faith, you know, whether you're in life in, in, as a Christian, whether you're just starting out, wherever you're at, the call to be single-hearted is a hard call. That's not an easy pill for anybody to swallow. You know, I'm sure, you know, you know if Ellie was up here and she had the mic, she could testify, it's hard to be single-hearted for God in your first year trying to figure out school and who you are and your identity and your Christianity and all that kind of stuff, you know? I'm the one with the mic and I'll testify it's hard to be single-hearted for God as a 20-year-old dude. 
And I'm sure it's hard to be single-hearted for God when you got kids and you got mortgage payments and insurances and all that good stuff. But I just want to encourage you guys, like, like Joe was, was talking about earlier, my heart here isn't to stand up here at 20 years old and try to tell you guys how you should be running, right? And I'm not trying, you know, having just kind of lined up at the start line, it's not my place to yell halfway down the track and tell you how you should be running. <laughs> you know? But my heart here, you guys, my heart is just to hold the word as a mirror and let you check yourself. Because you know where you're at better than me, right? And so I just want to ask you, you guys, I want to ask that question. Is your faith still a single-hearted pursuit? And when I was going through this and I was thinking about the analogies of runners and races, um, one kind of one figure came to mind. And I don't know if you guys might happen to know who Marla Runyon is. But um, my, so just to give you a quick, she was a uh, track and field star. She's one of the most decorated track and field athletes um, the U.S. has ever seen. And my mom growing up, she was a big runner. She ran marathons, half marathons, 5Ks. If you gave her a strip of land, she would run across it. <laughs> and so I grew up hearing about Marla Runyon. My mom actually came to my class, dressed up as her, and did a presentation for her. And I just, you know, Marla Runyon, she has a really cool story. I'm going to tell you guys a little bit about her. But basically, she actually went to Camarillo High School um, right down the street, and she did track and field there. And then after that, she went and she studied at San Diego State, and she p- competed collegiately there. And that was, that was back in 1987. So I'm just going to list a few of her accomplishments in the 31 years since. But she posted the second fastest marathon time ever by a female athlete at 2 hours, 27 minutes, and 10 seconds. She competed and won gold medals in the Pan American Games in cycling and long-distance running. She's one of the only athletes to ever win international medals in short-distance and long-distance running. I don't know if you guys ever know anything about running, but if you're in track and field, you usually specialize. You usually either long distance or short distance. She did both at the international level. She went on to win three national uh, championships, and she won five gold medals in the Paralympics. But if you were to ask her, the accomplishment she's most proud of is being the first blind Olympian. Wow. She's blind. She ran world record marathons. She, holds six, she used to hold nine. She currently holds six world records. She competed on, in, on the international level in cycling without her vision. Yeah. I mean, just imagine that for a second. Imagine if we all had to close our eyes, get up, and walk out of the room. <laughs> like, who's confident they could do that? What if I, you know, what if I roll in like 60 bikes? And I'm like, hey, guys, we're just going to go bike into the lobby. <laughs> That's what she was able to do. That's what she did. And, you know, since then, she's, she's a little bit older now. She's retired, and she actually has two uh, master's degrees in teaching and training blind and deaf kids. And she was asked once while she was teaching how she overcame. Because she, she has the, the distinct privilege of being able to say she's done something no other human being has ever done in being a blind Olympian. She's overcome obstacles no one else has ever had to face. And she was asked how she did it. And when she was asked that, she had a response, and she had a quote that I want to go ahead and put on the screen for you guys. But here's what she said. She said, I wanted to run my race. I didn't want to sit there and play games. I wanted it to be a race, referring to her life. And that's my point to you guys. You know, I already talked about a little bit of what Paul had to overcome, and I talked a little bit about, you know, what Marla Runyon had to overcome. Both of them faced things that really nobody else ever had to face, and both of them accomplished things that no other human being ever has. You know, it was God working through Paul, but Paul was able to go on three missionary journeys. He, He helped to found some of the most successful churches in the first century. He preached the gospel to the known world at the time, and God used him to write the majority of the New Testament. 
He persevered through all his obstacles because he wanted to run his race. He pressed on. He had a passion for it. That's right. So did Marla Runyon. And guys, I'm not saying that all of us are going to go on to become blind Olympians or write the Bible, but <laughs> what I am saying, my heart to encourage you, you guys today, is that when, when we're in this place, when we're in this place, when we're running our race single-heartedly, God's able to do amazing things. That's right. He's able to do things in your workplace. He's able to do things in your marriage, the faith of your children. You know, he's able to do things in your classes. And that's what I want to encourage you guys with today. You know, how should we run our race? We should have to want to run our race. You got to want it. That's what I want to talk about. We're going to go ahead and keep going, you guys. I'm going to put 13 and 14 back on the board. This time, I'm only going to read verse 14. But what it says here is, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And I just want to talk a minute because, you know, we talked about why you run the race, how you run the race, but there's kind of a deeper question I want to ask. And this is really where I want to kind of, hopefully, where I put the, the focus on my lesson. If you come away with nothing else, I hope you come away with this. But why does the race exist? You know, why is it there? The prize at the end of the race, you guys, is being called heavenward with Christ. Amen. That's what Paul never lost sight of. Marla Runyon had no vision, but she never lost sight of her prize. Right. And I want to encourage you, you guys, you know, I tell this to the campus all the time, but personally, I'm convinced that as Christians, we live with so much less joy and less peace, less rest, less unity, you know, and we end up giving less and loving less because we miss something. And I think we miss living in our hope. You know, I really do believe that God had designed us to live so much more rooted in our hope than we do. And at least, at least that's true for me. You know, and I just want to go ahead and, and as we close out here, we're going to pull away from Philippians chapter 3. I want to jump real quick to a different verse that Paul wrote, kind of explaining about this, because I think it elaborates a little bit more on what I'm trying to say. And you guys can turn there if you want. I'm just going to go ahead and put it on the screen. But the verse is Romans 8.24. And what it says is, But in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes what they already have? I, today, I really just want to focus on that first sentence. And if you read the, the scriptures before, the hope that Paul's talking about here is that same hope, that hope of being adopted as sons and as daughters of God. You know, and I really do believe you guys, I think we miss out as Christians. I think God designed us to have life and life to the full in heaven and here. Right. And I think we fail to see that sometimes because we get so focused on whatever's going on in our lives, good or bad, and we lose our hope. I think we hear about, you know, every Christian knows, oh, you go to be, in, be with heaven, be with Jesus in heaven. But it kind of goes in one ear and out the other. And my hope, my, my real point for this lesson, you guys, if you get nothing else out of this, what I hope you take away is I hope you start to have a hope that you can live in Monday through Sunday. You know, and I'm not talking about an emotional kind of euphoric uh, experience. I'm talking about a, a hope that can change your mindset, a hope that can change you know, your attitudes, your circumstances, that can lift you up out of circumstances. You know, there's something that I kind of like to do. You know, I, I have a little trick. Someone showed me this trick, and it helps me. And I just kind of want to share it with you guys today. But, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and read the Scripture again, because I, I think it's hard to hear it. But what it says is, but in this hope, Ellie was saved. But in this hope, Allie was saved. In this hope, Jacob was saved. Hallie was saved. Joe was saved. Lynette was saved. Vicky was saved. Christian was saved. Jessica was saved. Put your name in there for me. But I just want to, as we're closing out, you guys, God created you. God made you, and then however it happened in your life, he reached out to you and called you to be a Christian because he has a hope of being with you one day. That's why he did it. And I just want to encourage you, you guys, don't miss that. 
Don't, don't go through all the trials and all the ups and the downs you're going to have in running your race and trekking and all the preparation for that marathon and all the while forget your prize. Let that be what energizes you. And you know, I try to teach that to the campus because the campus, it gets hectic sometimes. It gets crazy. You know, but That's true no matter where you're at in life. So my last point, you guys, I go ahead and close out today. What I really just want to present to you guys is this idea of when you're living your Christian life, keep your eyes on the hope of being with Jesus in heaven. So I appreciate you guys. That's really all I have for you this morning. I hope you're able to take something out of it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate that. Real quick, if you guys would just go ahead, we're going to stand up. We'll close out in a quick word of prayer. If you guys don't mind just rising up with me, I mean, kind of just go arm in arm with your neighbor. I'll close this out in a word of prayer, and then we'll uh, we'll go ahead and be dismissed. But Father God, I just want to come before you today, God. I want to thank you for this time, Lord. I want to thank you for just your word that you've given to us, that you've spoken to us, Lord. And I just pray that wherever we're at today, God, whatever situations of life we have going on, I just pray, God, that you would help us to come back and to remember the simple things of why we are Christians, God. The simple things of how we're to live, God. And ultimately, God, I pray that we would, each one of us, be able to take home today and, and onward the hope of being with you, Christ. That that could be something new, that you would help make it new, God. Because I confess that it's easy to let that slide. I just pray, God, I just thank you for this body, God. I thank you for the people here, God. I just pray you would go with them through this day, that you would just be moving in their hearts. Lord, it's in your name we pray. We give you all the glory. Love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You guys are dismissed. Thank you. Thank you. I don't know how to turn this.